Before we get into today's episode, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know by now, we're here to tell you that hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL season has started back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN+. Plus, From the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Guys, before we get into today's episode, we wanted to tell you about the First Draft podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. These guys are keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL draft, and the show is now twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. You can also check out Monday's show on YouTube. The ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Welcome to another edition of In the Crease. Linda Cohn, Emily Kaplan. Good that you are listening. Emily, may I start? You may, always. It's because you know me, um, with some things fresh in my mind, if I wait too long to spit it out, I will forget it or will come back to me in a dream and everything about it will change. And I'm talking about, I was in between the benches on um, Tuesday, what's today? I don't know when we're doing You're this already Wednesday. forgetting. You, I, get you see out. my point, Emily? Do you see my point? I do. Tuesday night, hockey night, right? On ESPN Plus. I was in between the benches in Seattle, my old stomping ground, uh, where I used to live, where my daughter Sammy was born, city I still love and adore. And, um, they were taking on, of course, the Nashville Predators, one of our surprise teams in the National Hockey League, and another city. Oh, by the way, it was like two of my two favorite cities playing each other, Nashville and Seattle. No, Montreal, which as we've established for our listeners who know us, and they know how much we love Montreal, but Nashville, Seattle, playing each other for me, and I'm right in between them, Emily, the key of being in between the benches, right between <laughs> So anyway, I'll cut to the chase. I'll get to the hard stuff a little bit later on in this podcast, but, um, or it's depending on how much time I want to ramble on here with you as you're being very patient, listening to every word that I say right now. I can't wait to hear what comes next. So uh, of course our ESPN cameras did not capture the moment, sadly, but as I was in between the benches, I believe it was in the first or second period, as you know, from being in between the benches, sometimes the whole game's a blur. You can't keep track with when you're talking, what period it is, whatever it is. All I know is a puck went whizzing by me in play. I think it was during the first period, late first, maybe early second, hits the glass inside my booth there in between the benches on the predator side. So it went whizzing by me, hit the glass, went boom, right down to the ground, the puck. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I have to admit, I was very cool because, you know, I'm a goalie. I'm used to pucks around me, whizzing by my head. It's been a while, but I was used to it. I didn't panic. So I literally just reached down, grabbed the puck, because before I knew it, the fans behind me were like, hey, Linda, Linda, let me have the puck. <laughs> so I just like reached down and got the Seattle game puck and I actually had the nice Kraken logo and the Seattle, this official game puck. Threw it over. I think a Predator fan grabbed it. Those are expensive pucks, Linda. Those have the puck tracking technology in them. Those aren't cheap. You gave someone a nice This yes. is how I connect with the fans, Emily. Okay, this is what you should do. And I know you are aware of that. So after I get, you know, I look, I throw, I turn around 
I see like the assistant coaches of Nashville have the bench looking at me, either smiling, making jokes or worrying if I'm okay. Okay. Even though it didn't hit me. And then I look toward the Seattle side. And again, I think it was Colin Blackwell who was caring about my welfare, which I appreciate. Um, and maybe Joey Decorder on the other end of the bench who, you know, uh, acknowledged me during pregame warmup. We did a fist pound of the goalie union and he was a big fan growing up. I know I have to give the shout outs to those uh, who I acknowledge. Anyway, I'm fine. Too bad the ESPN camera did not capture the close call, but I stayed cool. But here's my bottom line. The bottom line of the story is, and I'm not surprised and neither will you be, is the fact the hockey players are the nicest. All they mm-hmm. cared about was if I was okay, even if it didn't come close. And one of the officials came over to me in the next timeout, in the next TV timeout. Hey, I'm just wondering if you're okay. And it was just, listen, I, I appreciate that attention. I'm, I'm human, Emily. So that was a fun uh, part of my story. I can go on and on how I met the Seattle Kraken team mascot dog. The girl- Yeah, that's kind of what I'm here for. I saw the photos. He looked pretty squishy. So cute. Davy Jones, four-month-old Husky. What a cute thing. So adorable. Um, I had to give a shout out to Babs because I didn't want her to get jealous as I was fawning over this beautiful Husky. So um, there was all that, of course. I shouldn't say of course, but of course, Nashville won this game four to two. Philip Forsberg had this incredible goal. He's in a contract year, as you know, Emily. And this is why he is lighting it up. He's very talented, as we know. Are you talking about the goal where he goes literally the entire sideboard just whipping yes. through one? That was gorgeous. Gorgeous. Incredible explosion of speed. He went right by me, as a matter of fact. Not as the puck that went by me earlier, but Philip Forsberg went streaking by me, and then he just blew it by poor Philip Grubauer. Um, and we'll get to him and those issues in a bit, because that is... Can somebody find him a timely save? Because I have yet to see one. And I feel bad for the guy. I do too. I, I feel bad for goalies in general who switch teams because it's always an adjustment. And, you know, it's funny because they said the same thing about Philip Grubauer when he came to Colorado from Washington, that it took him a little while to get adjusted. You know, I had the Avalanche Kings game the other day and I interviewed Darcy Kemper afterwards and Darcy was absolutely fantastic, but he didn't have the best start to the season replacing Philip. No, Grubauer. he didn't. You're right. You know, and I do think that you probably could speak to this better than me of being part of the union, but just getting used to the defensive structure in front of you, getting in front of, you know, just the new team, the new system, like that's a lot harder than people give it credit for. You just think, oh, goalie, plug him in and he'll do fine. Exactly. And the communication, especially with your defensemen, are you going to get this? Do you want me to get this? Where are you going to mm-hmm. be? You know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all reps. Right. I mean, it's repetition. And that's why it took Kemper a bit longer to get. And he seems like really acclimated now in Colorado. He's kind of shut up a lot of people like me who want Marc-Andre Fleury there. Now we're hearing Marc-Andre Fleury could be heading to the Washington Capitals. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Why not? The Capitals. My my big thing has been, OK, at this trade deadline, you know, we all know Carolina, Florida, they want to get better. They see their time is now. Um, you know, we always talk about Colorado as like that sleeper team. I've always said that the two most recent Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues and Tampa Bay Lightning, if you listen to either of their GMs publicly, they'll say, oh, we have no cap space. There's no way I can get anything done. I think they're going to get something done. I think both of those teams want to improve. But what about the three most recent Stanley Cup champions? Because the Washington Capitals have been so good. But I have heard 
that GM, Brian McClellan, when I talked to him a couple months ago, he kind of hinted at this, but what I've heard through the grapevine is he's just not super pleased with the goaltending that they have from Samsonov and Vanacek. You know, they were hoping those guys would both step up a little bit more by now. And they look at the rest of the team and they feel great. And they are in the market for a goaltender. They also were in on Evander Kane. And, you know, by the time that you listen to this, Evander Kane may have signed 90% sure that he's got a deal in hand with the Edmonton Oilers. I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen there. But the Washington Capitals were in on him towards the end. Yeah, it's just, I would be a tough, you know, it's one thing for Penguins fans to see Marc-Andre Fleury in the uniform of the Vegas Golden Knights and then the Chicago Blackhawks. Emily, it's another thing to see him if it does happen in the uniform of the Washington Capitals. I didn't even think of it for that. Right? And I know how beloved he still is in Pittsburgh. I mean, that is just, that is just yeah, fighting over him. The other team that I've always wondered about of, of adding at the deadline, um, and I want to talk about them in general because, like, they're freaking legit. The New York Rangers, Linda, oh, yeah. they're so good. Oh yeah. And I know that they are sniffing for a top six forward. I think they want to set her, you know, talk about ripping out someone's heartstrings. What if Claude Giroux ends up there? I do think Claude Giroux, as we know from this week, decisions in his hands, he's going to meet with Papperson, his agent, figure out what he wants to do. The sense I get is um, the Flyers want to do right by him. They're not closing the door, by the way, if he goes and gets traded somewhere else, maybe they re-sign him this summer um, as a free agent, bring him back because he is a flyer through and through. But he wants to go to somewhere where he can win a cup if he does want to go. And I get the sense he doesn't want to uproot his family so much. So a team like New York makes a lot of sense where, hey, your family can still stay in Philly. But imagine what that would be like. I also have to say the Rangers would get taxed for making a uh, in-division move. And the price would be a lot steeper if you trade him uh, somewhere else like the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, and that's the other name I've been hearing. But come on. I mean, as a, someone, as you know, grew up a Ranger fan. And that's one of my favorite players, even though he was wearing that black and orange, Claude Giroux. Totally always respected him. Great captain. And he'd be nuts. Nuts. I say nuts to do a new deal with the Philadelphia Flyers, even if it's next year and they bring him back after wherever he goes. But uh, I won't be crying if he ends up um, a New York Ranger. I want to get back to the Seattle Kraken. Uh, I had a chance to uh, talk by phone uh, day of the game, right before the game with Ron Francis, the GM. And he was great. But he was severely as expected. I mean, you could tell in his voice when I spoke to him. Um, very disappointed, frustrated with the record of his Seattle Kraken. You know, he told me, uh, and it's kind of obvious, but it's still, he thought the goaltending tandem that he put together was going to be one of the best goalie tandems in the league. And it didn't turn out that way yet. And, you know, Chris Drieger has been saddled by injury after injury, COVID injury. I mean, you name it, it's like an operation game. You know, it's just every part of his body, it seems. And then, of course, Philip Grubauer, all he's done is struggle. You know, he had a nice little thing going. I did a little uh, segment on the show that he went back to his old leg pads that he used to uh, wear for the Colorado Avalanche. And he went back to him on January 10th. He proceeded to lose two in a row, but then win three in a row. So I thought, oh, all right, it's a goalie. You know, you got to change things up. And then early in the game, he was making some tough, big saves. And then it all fell apart. Then he let in two of the goals were bad. Two of the four goals were bad. And it was back to being Grubauer being not making the timely save. And looking over at the Kraken bench, when he'd allow one of these goals, Emily, I know you've been in a situation when you've been in between the benches and you look over. It's sad. I mean, they look like they turn into peewee hockey players who are like, oh, you know, like you can't rip anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like the body language just sucks. And they're working hard. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention, um, that Ron Francis, the one thing that he looks at the record and he says, it's not because there's a lack of effort on this team because they battle each and every game. And that's what he's most proud of. Um, a couple other quickies is that 
you know, his approach is the deadline. Everyone's available. It just depends on the offer. And I want to capitalize everyone. You know, that was me saying that. But he said that word, you know, it just he's going to have to dissect the offer and who's going to be in the works for the long term of this franchise and the short term. Um, and the other thing is, I asked him about Dave Haxtall, which many believe was never the right choice. I wonder, it's like you're reading my mind. Anyway, go on and I'll tell you what I was going to ask. <laughs> you know, here, here's the bottom line. He's not going to rip Dave Haxtall and he did. He brought up the adversity this team has faced. I'll give you an example. And I'm not saying this is an excuse because, you know, he's just laying out the facts. The COVID really hit them hard. Uh, they were 5-2-1 and one, late November to early December. Then they lost 13 players to COVID. Then they have the second worst schedule in this regard this year. Let me point this out to you. And this is the truth. And this is tough. Where they have played back-to-back games and the opponent that they play on that second of the back-to-back doesn't play a back-to-back. So they have the second worst schedule when it comes to that. I know it's analytics. I know Before it's God's theory. Every team in the NHL believes it has the worst schedule in the NHL. Like every city believes it's the worst traffic city in America. Yeah. So back to Haxtell, he basically says it's half a season, you know, and uh, he still thinks he's the right person for the job. I, and because he likes the fact that the players are playing hard. I will say this. If you were the GM, Ron Francis, and this was your pick, are you going to be so quick to pull the rug out from him? Because what does it do? It, my opinion makes him look bad. It makes Ron Francis look bad if he would fire this guy. You know, uh, even at the end it's of this not year, just your opinion, Linda, it's the facts. And it was so funny because I was going to ask you, what's the vibe of the team? Because like a couple weeks into the season, it was probably around November. Um, I was hearing from a couple agents who had players on the team and their players just saying, like, it's not going well there. They're not happy. They don't they're not responding to Hackstall. I think some of the players were frustrated by some of the decisions he was making early of who was getting the most ice time, right. who was going down to the AHL. It was kind of a it was a mess and they're losing and no one's happy when you're losing. And, you know, one of the agents who represents some prominent players on the team was like, look, I think no one thinks Haxtell is the right guy there, but Ron Francis could have hired any coach that he wanted to. And he pretty much convinced ownership. This is the guy. Francis can't fire him this year because, like you said, it's not just that he wants to admit a mistake. He can't admit a mistake to his bosses because it makes him look bad and it puts him on the hot seat. Exactly. It puts him on the hot seat. Here's another thing. Is this another example of the fact, and I think it is a fact, if GM hiring coach, I'm not hiring a guy from college, Emily. I'm just not, not, you know. I I struggle with that, Linda, because I just think that the hiring processes are so similar. And we're always looking at the same recycled names from the same paths again and again. And just because Hackstall is one of the few examples of a college coach we've had recently, David Quinn being the other, Jim Montgomery being another. All three of those coaches didn't work out for three very different reasons. Um, but I don't want people just to stop looking down that path or any other path just because of those three men. I just think we need to open the books, look at play, people from Europe, look at people who are coaching in different paths, not just the typical AHL, NHL assistant head coach. And Jim Rutherford realizes the power and privilege he has as being I don't know, an old white dude in this league who gets three opportunities to run a team. And he's on his third and says, do you know how I'm going to use that power and privilege? I'm going to use it to give people who might not necessarily have gotten a chance, a chance. So he hires an assistant general manager and Patrick Alvin, who is a historic hire because he is Swedish. And we really don't see that many European leaders in this league. Jarmo Kikalainen obviously is the one general manager. He's Finnish in Columbus. So I thought that was pretty neat. 
And then for his assistant general manager position, he brings in Emily Castengay, who one is a former agent. That's typically not a path. We, we, we see that path, but it's not the most common path. But what was most interesting is he was hell bent on hiring a woman. And I've heard that there was two other women, um, you know, that he brought in as well for interviews. I think there was more on his list. Like, yeah, part of me gets offended of being like, oh, that just seems like he's trying to take a box so hard. And then part of me is like, you know what? Women haven't been getting these interviews for so many years. The fact that he knows exactly the power he has to get someone in this position to open up more doors for more women in the future, um, you know, good for him and good for Emily because Emily is not a tick box hire. I've met her. I've gotten to know her in this job. She's so supremely confident in her abilities. She knows the CABA inside and out. And I think she's going to thrive. Tremendously qualified. And uh, you mentioned the term checking the box, which he didn't do. You don't check a box when you're talking about an assistant general manager, right? I mean, you could have, right? You could have checked the box, put a woman in any other position, and you could have checked the box. But when you're making that hire with assistant GM, that means he knows what he's getting in her. So congratulations. We both feel the same way and keep them coming. I just, you know, you just want them to get in the door. You just want them to be allowed to interview and prove, you know, their resume and the numbers always speak to themselves for themselves, right? But we'll get them in a room. To that point, Linda, um, you want to get an interview, but you want to be taken seriously. And unfortunately, in this league, I've heard too many stories of the last five years of people who are minorities, um, right. you know, women or just not white men who get called about a general manager job or something like that. And they really feel like they're just being called so that it can leak out. And that way that ownership or that general manager can say, Hey, we called that person. We were considered a woman or we considered a black man, but we ended up going a different route. And it's been a really dispiriting feeling for a lot of people who have been trying to get into hockey and, and rise through hockey. So I love to see that we're seeing some actual change. Here. Yeah. It was like the NFL with the Rooney rule for so long. I mean, hopefully it's getting better, but that's how, uh, you, you, everything you just said was what the NFL went through with the Rooney rule and how it was frustrating because it was just like, oh, we're off the hook. You know, we had an African-American candidate in our office. We spoke with them. OK, can we now go back to our other choice? You know, that kind of thing. There's one job in particular, and I'm going to keep it as a blind item not to blow up their spot, but it was a general manager opening um, sometime in the last three years. Um, there was a minority candidate who got a call and they're like, wow, I, I just was never considering being a general manager. Let me just talk it over with my family. And the next day they call back and they're like, oh, we've already made our hire. Oh. And this person's like, well, how seriously were you considering me if like 12 hours later you've already hired somebody? Unbelievable. And that person's name, by the way, leaked out as someone that they had talked to. So you see where the intention is. Yeah. All right. On that dispiriting, but maybe inspiring note that we're seeing some actual change. Linda, we're pumped about this next interview because the one of the hottest teams, a team that we're all expecting to be standing there making a long run this postseason is the Carolina Hurricanes. And such an integral part of their success is their forward group, their depth and their second line center. Vincent Trocek is a huge part of what they're doing. So we talked to him. And now joining us, a player we're so excited to talk to. It's Vincent Turchak, a forward on the Carolina Hurricanes. They are one of the most exciting teams to watch this year. And Vinny, I've always said about the Canes, they're one of the teams that I feel like really takes the identity of their coach, Rod Brindamore, like Rod the Bod. He really sets the tone for everyone. And he still lives up to his nickname, Rod the Bod, because I know that 
He still does some of the workouts that you guys do. He's still working around with that weight vest anytime. So I would just love to know when you joined the team, what your first impressions of him were and specifically where did you see him and what was he doing working out? First impressions when I first got here is he was just very serious, um, serious coach behind the bench, but at the same time, he was really easy to talk to and he was easy to approach. He wasn't, didn't have kind of a, he wasn't unapproachable, which a lot of coaches can be, um, especially whenever you're new. But for, for me, whenever I first got here, he was easily approachable. And uh, like you said, he's um, extremely active in the gym. And, and <laughs> I just remember being, I spent, I spent the, my first summer, uh, after my first season, I spent the summer in Raleigh and I'd go to the gym and he'd be there well before any of us weight vests on and in the gym till we were gone. So I heard the um, grunting is intense too. big grunter. <laughs> I keep my distance whenever he's there. So I haven't heard the grunting. Fair. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, Vinny, it's, we talk about, you know, when you got to Carolina and became a member of the hurricanes, uh, a lot of people who don't really know much about the hurricanes, they think of that storm surge and how you guys connect to the fans. And what was that experience like for you? And, you know, you walk into this team, walk onto this team and they're really into this kind of uh, celebration. Yeah, it's different. I mean, it was from a outsider standpoint, it was a little weird to me before I got here and, and I didn't understand it fully, but now that I'm, I've been here you can see how, how much the fans interact with just that simple post-game celebration. Uh, it's really cool to see how how into it the fans get. I mean, every fan that's there for the game stays for that post game celebration and for the storm surge. So um, it's hard to argue with it whenever you're you're getting as many people to buy into it as as we have. So it's really fun to see the fans get into it. I just want to ask you a little bit about your journey. Um, you grew up in Pittsburgh area. What was hockey culture like growing up? And yeah, like, I, I'm just curious. I, I feel like in some of these cities, especially Pittsburgh, like you grew up and you're probably there very young when they're winning cups. Like how much of that was a boost to participation? I think you have to credit a lot of, so when I, I was born in 93 and the, the Pens had just won back-to-back Stanley Cups. And so for us, it was kind of, I think now my age group, 93, has four guys from Pittsburgh in the NHL now. So it's it has to be a pretty big influence on why we started playing hockey and uh, what got hockey in Pittsburgh to be so big. It wasn't huge whenever I was young, but um, Mario has done such a great job building up the youth programs in Pittsburgh now. It's, it's really big in Pittsburgh. Yeah, one of those guys uh, that's from Pittsburgh is John Gibson. Uh, you know, I think of him, you know, and – and I think of you and 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 regarding because I love Pittsburgh. Uh, my son went to school right outside there, and I think it's a gem of a city that people don't know about. You know? Yeah, I agree. It, it doesn't it doesn't get the the rap that it should. It's uh, I think Pittsburgh they think of steel mills and right. and dirty. It's it's changed a lot in the last 20, 30 years. So. Uh, I love it there. We still go back every summer. So many locker rooms have been closed, so we really haven't gone to spy on you guys much. I'd love for you to take us inside the Carolina Hurricanes locker room, just some of the personalities there. Like, who's on the ox court? Who's the most superstitious? Who's the chattiest and won't shut up? Like, what's the vibe? I am the team DJ. Nice. Um, And what's the choice of music? I have to keep it. Uh, it's all different arrays. I got to try to keep everybody happy, which is impossible, but um, it's mainly anything upbeat and up-tempo, uh, dance music, hip-hop, <laughs> pop, that kind of stuff. But I try to put a little bit of everything in there. Um, chattiest, 
uh, competition between Brennan Smith and, and Derek Stepan <laughs> to talk about. Oh, who is very superstitious? Um, I think Pesci is pretty superstitious with his routines, but nobody's overly like crazy about it. You know, I want to talk about your impact on this team. You know what? You know what's happening right now? Some weird computer thing on my thing here. I don't know. Our, uh, oh, my God. It's telling me I'm about to sign out. What do I do, computer people? Snooze? Oh, my God. No. What do I do? Just ignore it. Just ignore it. Okay. Emily, Vinny, and this I'll is funny. You. Emily has to teach me these things because I'm like, this like, this is like this line going across. That's like, like it's going to blow up. <laughs> it's so funny. All right. I'm the same. Right? Computer. Right, Vinny? Right? I'm serious because I can't control it. I don't, I don't deal with that stuff. Yeah. Okay, good. I feel better. All right. Uh, okay. So what I was trying to say was the fact that your role on this uh, Hurricanes team as a second-line center has been so significant for Rod Brindamore. It's been so needed. It's created the balance. When did you feel comfortable playing with this team and that system by Brindamore? Uh, it took about – so I got traded at the deadline a couple years ago, and then it took me pretty much that whole rest of that season to try to get into it and, and figure everything out and really get used to it. What was challenging about it? What was the most challenging? The system is just different. It's, it 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 really puts the onus on on work ethic and puck pressure. Um, and it's the D zone system is a little bit more man on man. And I was used to a little bit more of a zone defense. And, and remembering that once I get on my guy, I have to stay on my guy. It, it took me a little bit to get used to that. But after you get used to it, it it really it makes things easier, especially the way we play. And, and like you guys said, we, we really buy into the way that our system is a lot like Roddy played the game. And um, whenever you play that way, the system that we play, it kind of really fits well with that. So uh, ever since I think about that first full year I spent here at the beginning of the season, then I started to feel a little bit more comfortable in it. And um, ever since our identity really, it, it builds off, like you guys said, what, what Roddy exemplifies yeah you know, i was reading a stat we're halfway through the season now and we've had more players debut this season than we've ever had before and obviously that is a byproduct of covid but i'm just curious you're now a veteran in the league like do you notice that are there games where you play and you're like i don't know who the hell half these guys are right. anymore yeah we've had a few games where we, teams have had like six seven eight guys out with covid or injuries and stuff like that so there's definitely been a lot of new faces in the league this year you know, what did you learn from last year's postseason experience? As you know, a lot of people were jumping on your wagon thinking you guys were going to end up in the cup final. It was not to be. What did you learn from that? I mean, just the playoff atmosphere experience. I had only been to the playoffs one other time in my career. So, uh, and the first time I we went in Florida, I was hurt for the first few games of the playoffs. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time playing in the playoffs. Um, first, I guess the bubble was the first time, but it was still a little bit different in the bubble. Yeah, no fans. And then last. Right. So last year was kind of the first time I got to see that playoff atmosphere in Nashville. Was our first series was nuts. I mean, that was tough. The, that was a tough series. Yeah, we had a few uh, double overtime games. Nashville was rocking. Carolina <laughs> was rock. The stadium and the atmosphere is just it's it's special. But it, it really the the playoffs are just a different animal. It's everybody's sacrificing a little bit more, playing a little bit more injured. Um, and you, you have to learn how to win those games. One, nothing two, 
there's not teams that are going five, four, six, five. So uh, it's just a whole another animal and it focuses a little bit more on defense. All right. You can go with this question anywhere you want to, but uh, I'm making you commissioner for a day and you can make any rule uh, on the ice or off the ice to make the league better. What are you, what are you doing first? Oh, um, I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the commissioner because I don't know what I would do. Broadly, would you like to see more offense? Would you like to see more calls being made on star players? Maybe move the blue line, maybe dress however you want to the rink. Return to a real all-star game with five on five instead of three on three. I'm one of those people that is really big on this. Th- I like the three on three. I think it's more exciting. Um, I, I don't know. There's not really a whole lot that I don't like about what we have going on. I mean, I wish we could do something to promote the game a little bit better. Um, I don't know what that would be, though. So I don't know. If only we had like a big major sports network that just bought $400 million into the rights that could help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is helping. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. All right. I want to, again, go right back to you. And, uh, you know, you're you're a UFA at the end of the year. Um, How do you block that out when you're playing and you're trying to win a Stanley Cup with this team? It's fairly easy. I mean, you don't think about it a whole lot, especially once you're playing, you're playing. Um, I like you said, we have a team here that that can be cup contenders and that is the goal in, in, in the hockey. I mean, whenever you dream of playing in the NHL, you dream of winning the Stanley Cup. So that's been the main goal since I started playing hockey. Uh, when you have a team as good as we do and you have this opportunity, you can. it makes it easy to really focus on what you have going right now. This is a team that, you know, it was most recently didn't open up their wallets for a guy like Dougie Hamilton. And, you know, you're a situation where you demand some dollars here because, again, as I mentioned earlier, Vinny, you are very significant to this process for Rob Brindamore and the Carolina Hurricanes and what you've become for this team. Um, so would you love to stay in Carolina? You know, you like it there or how are you feeling about that? Yeah, of course. I love it here. Um, it's been a seamless transition to got here and obviously playing for a guy like Roddy it's um you don't find that very many places so he makes it easy on everybody and we have a good team great group of guys so I I do love it Raleigh and so is my family and then I just you know your team you have some it's a great mix because there's veterans there's also young guys Europeans North Americans but there's this like young Finnish mafia of like Aho Teravina and they now got Coca Coca Kaniemi I can never say but I heard that they've adopted young Seth Jarvis into their group. Can you just explain what that <laughs> dynamic is like? <laughs> yeah, we have those three fins, and then the Finn dad is is onto onto. Oh, of course, so, former Ranger, great. <laughs> Jarvis, I he when he earlier in the year when he was looking for a place to live, um, Aho kind of took him in and let him live with him for a few few weeks while he was looking for a place, and so they've they've kind of adopted Jarvis, and he's. He's just a goofy young kid, so he he out those guys. Can he understand them? Oh God, no. <laughs> Can they understand him? Sometimes, maybe. I don't know. I don't finish language. Yeah. Do they speak it in the locker room? Like, how much can you hear it? Because there's a pretty big contingent. Yeah, there's a corner with them. Uh, uh, Teravainen and Kokoniemi sit next to each other, and they speak it to each other quite often during the games. Uh, 
Aho's pretty good about keeping keeping in English for, for the <laughs> most part, but I'm sure whenever they want to talk crap about us, they, they use Finnish so we can't understand. You know what? What does it mean to have Freddie Anderson in goal? I mean, it's been pretty evident this year how big of uh, a he's been to add to our team. He's been unbelievable. Obviously, he's an all-star and well-deserved. He's been phenomenal. And, and there's been certain games this year where we've been not our best, and he's been back there to kind of keep us in games and um, win us a few games as well. So having that goalie, I mean, especially in the playoffs, in the playoffs it really comes down to special teams and goaltending. And uh, I think now we have that that final piece to really push us forward. And last thing for me, just to get to know who you are a bit off the ice. Um, and in this exercise, let's just say there's no COVID restrictions. We're living in 2019, but you've got a road trip. And you get an off day, like what's the first thing you do? Are you looking up? Okay, is there a golf course nearby? Ooh, there's some really nice five star restaurants. Like, what's your go to way to relax or your vice shopping? It's usually the food. We we find whatever the best food is in the area. I, I mean, it, for me, yeah, it's whenever I'm going anywhere, even whenever I'm going on vacation, that's the first <laughs> thing I look up is go to eat. So uh, for us, it's just finding a nice. For for me, if we have a game the next day, I. I have to eat Italian. Nice. So it's fun Italian restaurant in town. What's the top three Italian spots in the league? Um, Sardelli in, um, it's in Hollywood, Florida is one of my favorite restaurants that I've ever been to. It's phenomenal. Um, in LA, I totally whiffed. Damn. No, that's Hollywood, Florida. Florida. Yeah. Oh, Hollywood. Florida. Oh, good. I pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm biased, but uh, there's a Italian restaurant in Pittsburgh called Alla Familia that's phenomenal. Um, but like I said, I I'm, I am from Pittsburgh and I'm pretty biased. I go there quite often this summer. That's for your rankings. And then, um, kind of undercover martini in in Columbus is no kidding. Great chicken parm, yeah. Low key, good food city. Columbus, yeah. low key yeah. city in general, like a nice little bar strip. Yeah, but that's what like Pittsburgh is to me. like Pittsburgh to me because I've been there enough too. It, yeah, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just it's a gem. I call it a hidden gem, and I don't want to tell too many people, Vinny, because then they'll all come there. Yay! There's so many good restaurants in Pittsburgh. Yeah, people don't get it, you know. I, and I, I, I know I'm going to let you go, but you know what I think of Pittsburgh? Pamela's with the pancakes. You know, oh. love it. So good. so good. I'm like so addictive. Yeah. Every time. So know, totally. All right, Vinny, we're going to let you go. No, wait, oh, wait, this is a very important question. I have to ask. I went to Penn State, so I know a lot of uh, Pittsburghers. Yinzer, is that a derogatory word? And do you use the word yins? It's not derogatory, no. And I use it. I use the word yins what the, in a joking What the way, heck is it? But my dad, means <gasps> like it's y'all. Okay. In Pittsburgh, speak. but my dad actually says yins, and he has my whole life, so I never really thought anything of it until people started Pittsburghers using it, and now I use it in, in, like in a joking way. Oh, funny! It's good to know that it's not derogatory because you never know nowadays. So that's why I had to ask what the definition was. <laughs> I'm not easily offended, so no, it's not derogatory. Uh, nor nor am I. Uh, all right, as much as I want to ask you everything, uh, we will let you go because we really appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of this year with Carolina and the team and you especially. And we, we really appreciate you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you for having me guys. I appreciate it. It's great talking. Thank you. Same here. You're fun to watch. We appreciate it. Thank you.
Yins. I'm so glad I covered that with him because I went to Penn State, Linda, and a lot of my friends were from the Pittsburgh area and I called them all Yinzers and they hated it. And I, they thought it was derogatory. Then I started using it as kind of like, a, oh, Pittsburgh people, Yinzers. So I'm glad to hear that A, he's not offended by it and B, he almost takes pride in it, I feel. For what it's worth, the sound of it does sound derogatory. And you know, I'm not from Pittsburgh, but whatever Vinny says goes. And I believe it. Now, he was great, um, just as we uh, expected. But I brought up his contract situation because there is no way Caroline is going to pay him what he deserves. And that's going to be very interesting in the offseason. And I know he loves Raleigh and I know his family loves Raleigh and everything about it. And there's something to be said. He's going to have to make a choice. Does he want to be with a team in a place that he loves, teammates that he loves, and a team that is a annual Stanley Cup contender, you would, you would figure, the way they are built and what they have waiting in the wings? Or do you want to cash in and maybe go to another team that pays you a lot of money? Now, he's already played for a Florida team. And at that time, that Florida team was on the outside looking in. So he's been there, done that, playing in a market that didn't have the rabid fan base that comes out in droves in the postseason. So we'll see what goes into his thinking when the time comes in the summer, but he's got a great attitude. He said the right thing. He's focusing on this year and winning a Stanley cup for Carolina. I also love just learning a little bit about the dynamics of that team, because I said it to him, but it's true. Like it might be one of the most diverse teams in the league in sense of, veterans, young players, both having a really big role, Europeans, North Americans. Um, I was surprised to hear who was the chattiest. I actually thought he was going to say my buddy, Ian Cole, he's a pretty funny guy. Um, maybe he's been quiet with a new team. Um, and then this, the Finnish mafia is just hilarious to me. Um, you know, the fact that Seth Darvis is living with Aho this year, uh, Aho gave him the Xbox and was like, I'm not going to translate it from Finnish. You can figure it out. Um, and just, he's kind of following them around. He even dressed up like Santa Claus for Auntie Ranta's kids on uh, Christmas day. So it's just a cute little dynamic they've got. It really does feel like a close knit team. And I hate to say it, but those things show on the ice. Like they really do. I know it's cliche and that's why I hate to say it, but it's true. No, it is true. And I just want to go back uh, to how we started this, you know, when I was in Seattle, that kind of, what you just described about Carolina is what I saw in the Nashville predators, Emily. Mm, and that explains, you know, best. especially the players I spoke with, very close-knit. They really like each other. They really like each other uh, on and off the ice and just look out for that team. And then, you know, Vinny uh, made reference to that po- that playoff series last year and that playoff series. And I talked to some of the players about this on the Predators. That's when they realized and bought into John Hines's system. They played Carolina top to bottom, almost stole that series from them, the couple of overtime games. That's when the Nashville Predators realized, you know what? I think this is the system. I think this is going to work. And they stayed true over the summer. And look at them now. Look at Nashville now. And so just like Carolina, they're very similar because they're in tough divisions. Like Nashville's in the central. And look at the Metro. It's turned out to be so tough as we speak, Carolina is actually in third place. They're behind the Rangers Wild. and the Penguins. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy finish. We got a lot of hockey left. I get it. But you brought up the point about how close and tight knit the Canes are. And it got me thinking about the Predators. And who knows, maybe there'll be a rematch in the postseason between those two teams somewhere, some way. They're very, very similar. 
All right. So um, I am recording this in New York because I've got the Kings Islanders game on ESPN plus Thursday night between the benches. So excited to get to that new arena. UBS. It's just looks gorgeous, but the Kings are a team. I had them last week too. I was out in LA. I think like just big picture, fascinating. Here's all the veterans all pissed off the last couple of years saying, what the hell? Last couple of trade deadlines, you keep trading away our friends, making us worse and worse, saying, oh, we're rebuilding for the future. Like, come on, we're so elite. Let's go. And they literally asked management, like, get us help. Management got them help. All of a sudden, the young players are really rising up, especially Quentin Byfield, who made his season debut last week. And uh, things are coming together for, I, I think at most right now, we're looking at a team that can just sneak into the playoffs. Um, but um, they're looking okay. Quentin Byfield, by the way such a confident kid in his abilities. Um, like the coaching staff and the management, I had to have a couple of talks with him when he was in the AHL, like, Hey, we get it. Things are coming easier to you here. Just so you know, like not all of this can fly in the NHL just because he looks so smooth out there. Um, but something else I admire about him that I learned is that, you know, he has made history as the highest drafted black player in league history. And people always want to ask him about diversity in the game and racism. And he's young, he's 19 years old. And he basically has said, look, I don't really want to speak on it right now because I don't really know how I feel. And I haven't done enough education or haven't experienced it enough as a professional to give comments because when I do give comments, I want to make sure they mean something because people are listening. And I just, I wish I had that maturity level at that age. I just think that's such a great approach. Um, and I really loved hearing that. Yeah. Second overall pick, of course, for those who don't know, am I right in second overall? You're okay, right. cool. Um, I'm curious about the New York Islanders who are actually been playing well of late. And we talked about this in our earlier episodes, a lot of teams to climb past. If the Islanders want to shock the world and sneak into the postseason, but I'm telling you, it's a tough road, but the points that they have gathered, you know, Barry Trotz talks about it and you'll probably, and you'll talk to him when you're there. Uh, it's about getting points, always getting points from every game they play. Don't come away empty. And so they have really accumulated some points and they're making a run here. I mean, there's like about eight, seven teams to climb over, but I think they're about seven points out of the final wildcard spot. Emily, they have a lot of games still to play. I don't put it past them. Linda, every year, death, taxes, not taking the New York Islanders seriously until they go on a run that forces you to pay attention to it. Like it's yeah, going to happen. It, it's it is inevitable. And it is. They still it's need a veteran that's resilient. Yes. They'll go down two in a game, like to the Philadelphia Flyers, and then come out with a victory. Like that's just who they are. They still need to help Maddie Barzell. They still need to get more scoring. I just so I hope Lou Lamorello is I think active. They find him more consistent line mates. Like I feel like that's part of the issue. Just and maybe it's finding a different line mate for him, someone who's not with the organization, someone who can just distribute the puck better and can have kept bring somebody in. So I think that's something, and I'm sure you'll be all over that on Thursday. I'll be hosting in the crease uh, on ESPN Plus on Thursday, um, and again on Saturday uh, as we gear up for next week. Uh, where you will be in Vegas a bit early. You'll be, you'll have a game to cover. And then of course, end of the week, we'll both be in Vegas at the same time covering the NHL all-star weekend. We can't wait. So just a little programming note. I know we've gone once a week, the last couple of weeks, Linda and I are just crazy with schedules. And next week 
We're going to bring you one mega episode that will be a total preview for All Star Weekend, emptying the notebook, everything we have. You yes. can expect content from me and Linda and the podcast coming out from All Star Weekend. We'll take you behind the scenes. And we're just excited to be there in person and get our vitamin D and get our hockey fix. Nice. Uh, you have to remember, being living in LA, I always get my vitamin D as I rub it in. But flexing on me, Linda. I'm ready. All right. Okay. Till next time, Emily. Bye. Bye.